But I don't. I really don't have any regrets. I really don't. I've I've lived exactly how I've wanted to. I've tried my hardest every single time. I didn't win the matches that maybe I should have always won. Or, but I really gave it my all. So that for me is enough. Hello everybody, welcome to The Body Serve. This is episode 117. It's a little bit different because James is not here at the top of the episode. I'm Jonathan, let's put that out of the way. I think you know that by now. I'm in Charleston and James is gonna appear later on in the episode with the Q&A segment that we solicited from listeners last week. We recorded that and I have that in the can ready to just stitch it in so that he's on the episode. But right now we're gonna start with a segment with the one and only Petty Queen. I think James called you Petty Wop. You called me Petty Wop? Oh my gosh, I'm gonna totally get James now. Which I did not know what that was, I had to look it up. It's a nice pun on Petty Wop. Yes. I know, it's, I mean, it's pretty cool. I mean, like we've had many names for you over the, the last year shading you on this podcast. Petty Queen, Shade Queen. Mm-hmm. Does the shoe fit a little bit, Brie? It does not fit, I mean. At all. I tell truthy and Do you want to tell us what size shoe you wear? <laughs> <laughs> Is it off by like one size, two sizes? Um, negative. It's, <laughs> I'll tell you what size I wear. I wear a size seven. I can go from a six and a half to a seven and a half. Okay. And none of it's shady. So the petty shoe is like a an eight. It doesn't <laughs> quite work. <laughs> yes, I guess so. So when I asked you on the show, you said yes, which thank you for being on the show. And the follow-up that you attached to that mm-hmm. <laughs> response was you were here to set the record straight i am in fact and i can imagine what that entails but you you do the work you tell me what it is that you need to set the record straight about okay well i'll just introduce myself again mm-hmm. um without my petty monikers <laughs> my name is brie um you guys may know me from twitter aka at for the tennis i'm the resident uh black people saving u.s tennis uh, marketer and queen and queen HBIC. Yeah. yes that's true very good thank you Jonathan <laughs> um, I'm also the chief Sloan fandom general you know I hold down the Sloan Rangers so yeah I really just wanted to come set the record straight on Sloan y'all need to put some respect on her career uh-huh. <laughs> which I think I did in particular in the last episode I mean I don't know if it was as glowing as you would have liked Mm -hmm. we tend to be a little bit measured on the body serve Mm -hmm. that is true you do give measure takes I agree with that (laughs) and y'all did kind of correct yourself at the end especially Chad CC smooth he started off rocky but then you know how he does he puts in his southern charm and got the job done well so I really should have introduced you better so thank you for doing such a good job with that thank you Uh, maybe one of the things you can set the record straight on is this thing that you've been propagating on Twitter about this alleged Sloan Hive. Mm-hmm. Because um, is uh, the the army or the rangerdom big enough to be a hive just yet? We already talked about this, Jonathan, on Twitter, and I said you shouldn't be worrying about the size of the hive. It's <laughs> about how many does it take to swarm, how many bees does it take to swarm. <laughs> And y'all swarm pretty intensely. Yeah, Sloan Fandom of Seven is fierce. We're out here in these streets, you know. We got to keep y'all together because we're rational fans. Um, We know that some days our our Sloan is great and other days it's rough out there on the courts. But at the end of the day, she's pretty successful now. She's a major champion. One of the things I tweeted was that Sloan is working on that resume. Mm Mm-hmm. Like... I have a receipt for you. Oh, you do? Okay. Yes. Uh, Since 2016, Sloan is apparently the only person to win a major, Premier 5 mandatory, Mm -hmm. and the next level below that, I don't know what it is, Premier International, whatever. She's the only one to win all those titles. Mm -hmm. Yeah. She's also 6-0 in in finals in her career, which is pretty impressive. Mm -hmm. That is, yeah. She's a queen of finals, you know. Are you disappointed that she pulled out? In Charleston? I am a little disappointed just because I wanted to congratulate her on being the Miami Open and reigning U.S. Open champion. <laughs> <laughs> I just love laying it on thick for you guys. <laughs> but seriously, um, I, I understand why she pulled out, you know. Um, it is hard to 
it's a tough turnaround. I've seen Serena come here and lose her first match a couple of years in a row just because she won Miami and went deep there. So I understand. I guess it's better for her to pull out, you know. I'm sure the tournament is kind of upset, you know. Because yes. I mean, this is a... Uh, well, last year, Venus made the semis in Miami and she came here and didn't do well losing to Sigmund in mm -hmm. her first match. Venus played fairly well that match. Yes. And Sigmund played out of her mind, whatever. But to your point about going deep the week before in Miami and it being hard to follow up with a top result in here in Charleston. Like, I take that point. Mm -hmm. um, but, I mean, you know, you do want to honor your commitments if you can. Yeah, well, I was having this discussion with James before the tournament mm -hmm. and I got here in Charleston while the final was going on. I was traveling. And so one of the things we were talking about was, well, is Sloan actually going to show up? And he was like, yeah, she has like at least four days because she won't play if she needs the extra time till Wednesday. Uh, but then I was also saying that one of the reasons why she might come, even if she's tired, she wasn't able to defend her title last year. She was the 2016 Charleston champion. Mm -hmm. And then last year she was walking around on her crutches. Her peg leg. <laughs> I didn't say that. <laughs> That's uh, what it was. Yeah, working for um, <laughs> Tennis Channel. And she clearly has an affinity for this tournament, as do many players, it seems. It's a very popular spot. Mm -hmm. So I figured that maybe she'd want to come and try and, in effect, defend her title that she wasn't able to. Right. And to give another example, um, last year, Kanta won Miami, mm -hmm. and she ended up pulling out of Charleston as well. But she was nice enough to come and do like an appearance, like a little uh, meet and greet with fans and stuff before she left town. So that was sweet. Oh, Brie, are you shading Sloan a little bit here that she didn't show up and do that at no, least? No, I mean, I, I mean, <laughs> I am not shading my player. I, I caught you in a little trap there, Brie. <laughs> no, you didn't. <laughs> Let me set the record straight while we're here. Um, I'm not shading Sloan, but it was nice to see Joe Conta do that extra effort, you know, mm -hmm. come in and do the meet and greet, even though she knew she wasn't going to play. And, you know, it's also great to see uh, Serena come in and try and play even though she may not lose Serena may not win I mean Serena and Venus but um, each player is different I mean Sloan has to monitor her body you I mean she win. also had to get in line to deposit that one million dollar check <laughs> <laughs> yeah she had to secure the bag so uh, <laughs> Sloan's busy she's got things to do I can't blame her uh, you mentioned Joe Conza I will repeat this ad nauseum over and over she is such a credit to the WTA tour right now uh, she she carries herself so well. She doesn't shy away from answering any questions in her all-access hour on Monday. She just fielded every question, didn't care how... I mean, I asked her one, you'll hear later in the episode, where when I phrased it, I was like, oh, Lord, this, uh, this could be taken the wrong way. <laughs> I was like, are you... Do you have any dread heading into the clay court season? Because essentially your, your record is not that great in the last couple of years. And she's like, absolutely not. And then she, she kind of clapped back, but in her own nice way, you know, so you'll have to listen out for that. Okay, I'll but definitely listen Joey's out here speaking her mind and being a real asset for the tour in my mind. And she's delightful, so. I'd agree with that. Um, I, as much as I want to hate Kanta, cause she's, you know, beat Venus a few times in pivotal matches. She's a really great person in, in person. She's very engaging, warm with fans, and she's great in media too. So that's a perk all around. Is there anything else you want to set the record straight on? I think we've cleared the air. You have? I think okay. uh, we're on good footing now, Jonathan. <laughs> you can continue the body serving piece. <laughs> you have the Sloan Hives blessing. One of the things that you wanted to talk about as well was the impending clay return of one Rafael Nadal Pereira. Yes. Oh my gosh. I cannot wait to see the world number one step his foot. <laughs> You're just tripping all over yourself right now. You're so excited. I know. I'm so pumped. I miss Rafa, um, you know, but uh, putting my fandom aside, it'll be great to see him back on the clay. Um, he's coming back as world number one because Federer, you know, lost it in Miami. But um, it'll be great to see if he can add on to his decima, maybe go for the La Once, El Once. <laughs> I don't know what we're calling it yet. Uh, Rafa and still have to work that one out. <laughs> I'm, I, I really hope he's able to come back healthy. There's so many points for him to defend. I don't think number one is a realistic goal for fans, I'm sure Rafa doesn't care that much about it at this point, but for fans like, oh my God, he has number one now, how long can he keep it? I don't think that's a realistic 
goal because he has so many points to defend. The, it's important for him going forward to make it through this stretch in good health. And we'll get the first glimpse of what that might look like with Davis Cup coming up, right? Right. And that'll be starting this Friday. So we may see Rafa play a rubber. Who knows, really? And then after that, he has all those tournaments to go play. Yes. Uh, he's defending champion of... Monte Carlo. Monte Carlo, Madrid, Barcelona, mm -hmm. and Rolling Arrows. So yep. we got a full sweep to go for. <laughs> if anybody can do it, it's Rafito. Well, we know this. This is his history, right? Yes. And the competition for Rafa, if he's healthy, what is it at this point? Because Federer is not going to be there for the clay season. Right. Not that he would have been competition, but Sanga is another one to have fallen by the wayside. Now we just found out he had knee surgery. Mm -hmm. He hopes to play at some point on the clay, according to him. Novak, we just learned as well, has parted ways with Radek Stefanik as well, mm -hmm. after having already parted with Andre Agassi. Yes. What is that big smile on your face? <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, not to be shady or anything, but it seems like there's not a lot of challenges for Rafa on clay besides his body. I mean, Gofan is especially a Dominic challenger. Team on clay. TM, but they're both injured. I mean, Gofan's got one eye and TM's got one ankle, so that's not looking too great. It's fair. He has a Masters on clay. Yes, but can he get past that third round, that inevitable third round? Mm -hmm. We shall I mean, see. John Isner is coming to snatch some wigs right now. <coughs> <laughs> uh, well, uh, <laughs> yeah, John Isner could be coming to snatch some wigs. You never know. Like Miami Proof, you just never know. I mean, that, that came out of nowhere. Nowhere. He, he won basically nothing on the year. Nothing. Clay's a step too far even for him, I would I would say. Yes, I would hope so. Um, but you never know. I mean, back in 2011, back in the good old boy John Isner days, um, he did take Rafa to five sets at Rolling Garros. So. There you are with that receipt again. Yeah, I come, <laughs> I come with receipts. I remember everything. <laughs> so who knows? In terms of Novak, though, what we it's we have a listener question q a segment coming up after this right on this show this current episode and one of the questions deals with what is it that we think james and i is needed to fix novak and i'm going to tell you right here i don't remember what i said because that was like over a week ago but this is new information to go along with what was said so maybe you can add some more texture and layers to that because it's something that we've been talking about over the course of a few episodes now okay um well for the record i saw novak in miami i was actually there when he was playing pair and it was an interesting match i mean he it was weird because coming into miami he had been saying he was finally pain free and then he had also said i think that playing miami was kind of like a last minute decision so it just makes me feel like things are a little clouded in Novak Camp's mind right now. He's not really sure if he wants to play or heal up or train or hire a new coach. You know, there's a lot of things going on, a lot of moving parts. But um, I don't know. He says he plans to go coachless now for a while. So mm -hmm. we'll see what's in store for Novak. But based on what he showed in Indian Wells and Miami, he did not look good. But the great thing about that is that he has a lot of room to grow and improve so that could be enough to get a semi-final or a final at Roland Garros you never know it's well if you read that statement from Andre Agassi when they split if you decoded it it read like well I tried my best but Novak really didn't want to listen to what I had to say right and given that he's cl cleaned house again now it seems that however it is that he's deciding to steer his ship he wants to make sure he is the one with the sole authority. You know, like maybe he wants to go it alone now. Mm -hmm. And that's something he feels that there's a journey he needs to be on by himself. Which, you know, people go through those stretches, I guess. Right. It's a bit unorthodox for a top tennis player to go coachless like that. Mm -hmm. uh, but we'll see. We shall see. But I think going coachless also puts the accountability 
accountability back on Novak because Mm -hmm. his effort just seemed lacking. And, you know, if a coach isn't there to inspire you and you're by yourself, you can only blame yourself for whatever you produce on the court. So it might be good. Might be clearing for him. His schedule is pretty full going forward. So which would lead me to believe that he is healthy. It's just other stuff that he has to figure out. So that would be one of the more interesting things to watch the rest of the season. Yes. Frankly. Two years on from the Novak slam, we're asking, how's Novak? (laughs) 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 I'm just saying, it's just just crazy how tennis turns. It is. If that's your takeaway point from that statement that had some shade in there. (laughs) Was that shady? (laughs) But if that's your takeaway statement, that is absolutely right. Because things turn on a dime just like that mm-hmm. I I mean I don't want to say that Rafa getting injured in the 2014 Australian Open is responsible for Stan's career but it certainly didn't hurt mm. you know something as simple injury as, as that in a Grand Slam final and Stan's trajectory is while it was on the rise it, it just explodes exponentially so are yep. you saying that uh, Rafa should tweet, I made you, Sam? <laughs> Is that what you're saying, Jonathan? <laughs> uh, it's possible. It might just be possible. But the point is that you think things are going in one direction in tennis and you just never know what's around the corner. Exactly. Because, you know, if we go by 2016 articles, Novak's supposed to have 25 majors yeah. by now. <laughs> he was the unstoppable force. Mm-hmm. We are in Charleston. And you're here for two days. You were you came yesterday, mm-hmm. which was the Tuesday of, of the event. This is Wednesday. So you've got a, a nice, short, cute stint here in Charleston. Let's talk about some of the stuff that you saw yesterday. Okay. Let's start with some Canadian content. Miss Jeannie Bouchard, because you saw that match. I did catch Jeannie Bouchard, and she played against the Sarah Arani, uh, the... Against the Sarah <laughs> Yes, the infamous Tortellina Queen. Okay. Um, they played an interesting match against each other. They both seem like they were playing better for their levels mm-hmm. together. Um, Sarah was pulling off some crazy forehands and tough, you know, drop shots. Um, Jeannie was trying to bring her power game to the match, and she succeeded in the second set. I mean, she was up a break, and then... It kind of just all evaporated. Like when thing when the scoreline gets tight, it seems like Jeannie's just not able to get over that hump. Mm-hmm. She gets a little nervous. It seems also that her decision making becomes a little bit cloudy mm-hmm. in those tense moments. And there were times in that second set, especially where she seemed very exasperated with what was going on, that she felt like, well, what more can I do at this moment? Sarah would come up with some pretty unexpected shots. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if I'm Jeannie. Yeah. And she's like, well, damn, (laughs) that was the expression on her face on court. The thing with Jeannie that I was impressed with in my time here this week, she spent a lot of time on the practice courts, which leads me to believe that she's committed. Mm -hmm. Like we've said some fairly unkind things about her on the show and she's widely mocked in many circles because of her downward spiral. But I I really don't think it's for a lack of trying. And what we've said on the podcast before was that she needs to go and play smaller tournaments. Mm -hmm. Because, and I liken it to Serena, it's a totally different scale in terms of what they need to do. But they both need matches. And so Serena's in the unfortunate position of having to play in Osaka in the first round in in Miami. So she can't get a couple matches to get those reps in. And Jeannie herself said in press, which I was impressed that she had that clarity, that even if she's able to get into some of the bigger events in the European clay court swing, she'll probably play the smaller ITF events so that she can play more matches. Even if it's against smaller opponents, she needs the reps, she needs to get the rhythm back. She said that the cycle of playing one match and losing and then having a training block for two weeks and then playing another match and losing that cycle was just horrible and so she's she's trying to break out of that Mm -hmm. and uh i hope folks don't come for me with that thinking that i'm comparing serena to genie it's like (laughs) it's just the process of needing match play right right it's it's tough to just show up after long breaks of not 
playing competitively and have your rhythm. It's just a fact of tennis. Mm -hmm. And you also have to think, you know, all that travel and then you're only in a certain place for a short amount of time and you got to pick up, go back to your training base and restart. It's a total grind. So mm -hmm. I really hope Jeannie can, you know, drop down to the lower levels and pick up some matches. Because what I saw today, I mean, her tennis was still fun. It was still engaging. The crowd wanted her to win, but it's just... She's still a big crowd favorite. Yes. Uh, they love Eugenie Bouchard around these parts. Now, Miss Irani. She was asked in press about the, apparently, the the case is still ongoing. With the tortellini? With the tortellini thing. The court oh. for arbitration of sport, there's another hearing, or she had a hearing in November. She said it was November 9th, and they said they'd get back to her in three weeks. Potentially with added sanctions? I don't know, but there's something that's still up in the air with mm. Irani that she's still waiting to hear if everything's settlement done for good right because don't quote me on this back when the whole tortellini case came out i think her country's doping group wanted to um look into her case and sanction her as well mm -hmm. um, not just going off the itf decision so that may be what she's talking about or what they're questioning her about but i'm not sure don't quote me on that yeah but that'll be interesting to watch out for as well hmm. sam stozer unfortunately put in a terrible performance in her first round match losing to Christiane and historically Charleston is an event that Sam has done well at she's a former champion and this was the first time in probably a decade that she'd lost in the first round oh wow I didn't know that hmm. receipt <laughs> <laughs> Uh, at one point, it was really dire. What was it? 6-2-4 love she was down to Christiane, and then she was able to bring it back to a 6-4 a scoreline in the second set. Yes. And she was starting to play better, but she just ran out of time. Right. Um, I popped in during the second set, so I didn't see the first set, but um, I saw Stozer start to try and fight back. And I know they said that she had come back from a wrist injury or something like that. And how she was playing kind of reminded me of how Rafa was coming back in like 2015. Like her forehand was just a lot of shanks. It was a lot of off. Like she would build the point well and then go for a killer forehand and it would just spray. Um, and unfortunately, she had a great comeback to get it back to four all. But then uh, like the Christiane girl was serving for the match <laughs> sorry that sounded horrible but um christian was uh serving for the match and unfortunately sam just gave her like four straight errors yeah. and it was game sets match credit to christian she's a college player mm -hmm. she's ranked just outside of the the top 100 this was one of the biggest wins if not the biggest win of her career she was all smiles in press and she was a delight in press okay. very engaging i i mean it's it's hard to say in this a sea of players who could or couldn't be top 100 players who's gonna break out but if i'm her i'm looking at danielle collins and i'm looking at like the scores of young american women's tennis players now and, and thinking why not me to at least, you know, have a good year or two, make some coins, secure that bag. Yeah, secure the bag always. <laughs> <laughs> but it's nice to see these uh, college women come out and talk about their education and how it hasn't hindered their career. Because there are a lot of people who think that there's pressure to go pro young and go pro early when they may not really be ready for the physical realities mm -hmm. of the WTA tour. So it's just nice to see Collins come through. I mean, she was ranked 167 three weeks ago or something like that. And she's now ranked she's ranked 50 something. Yeah, top 50. So that's kind of crazy. Christiane said that going to college was was good for her because there was a time when she wasn't even sure in her high school days if she wanted to play tennis professionally. Mm -hmm. And so it gave her that extra time to figure things out. And she has she went to Stanford. She has a Stanford degree. It's in business and tech, some joint program that she did. So she's got something to fall back on. She's Asian American. And she talked about this. Courtney Nguyen asked her in press. Uh, it's, a, it's a topic that Courtney's always fascinated by because it's a lived experience for her as well. She talks about it on Twitter all the time. Uh, the expectations of Asian American parents on the kids, you know, education first. And so Christy talked about how her parents weren't necessarily that supportive of her turning pro. And for the first year or two, they were like, so when are you going to stop? 
you know like when you're ranked in the hundreds upon hundreds like that's not something you can go and tell people that oh my daughter is playing tennis and she's the number 900 in the world you know and she said well they finally come around like her they she got texts from both of them yesterday and so she was beaming about that and uh she's happy that she's stuck it through she doesn't know how many more years she'll get to play but she's she's at a place where even a couple of years ago she didn't think that she'd be so like you said you never know in tennis that's true and that's a really amazing story and it also shows how um, wild cards can help a career or mm -hmm. even just qualifying because Danielle Collins she was a wild card at that Oracle tournament and it basically launched your career in a way so that's pretty cool especially when we hear about the negative side of wild cards a lot like uh, <laughs> yes. with you know Sharapova and also even Donald Young and Ryan Harrison and Jack Sock getting all these wild cards and potentially doing nothing with them uh, oh uh, so that's how we're going to go. <laughs> <laughs> I, we don't have to go there, but I just wanted to put that out there. You know, it's, 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 a <laughs> yeah, it's, it's kind of abstract when people push back against those players, getting those wild cards and they say, well, what are these young rank 200 people going to do, you know, and it may just be that important to their career. Exactly. Like, look at Philip Kryanovic, who's another example. He went through all those terrible injuries, and then he got through qualifying at the Paris Masters. And, I mean, I saw him play last week in Miami. He, he beat Benoit Paire and made it to the third round, I think, at least. So, just never know. We are about to wrap up this segment with you, Bree. Uh, do you want to tell the folks where we are right now? Yes, um, the body service actually on location today in Charleston. We're in the lovely Poots, uh, aka my vehicle, my Honda Fit. <laughs> Bree's car is called Poots after Yulia Putintseva. Yes. Um, I, Why is that? Well, uh, one, I just like the name Poots. I think it's hilarious. <laughs> and then two, she's just a fiery, short, uh, sparky kind of figure. And my car is short, sparky, and it's got pep. So, <laughs> you know, why not name it Poots? On that note, thank you for joining us. This is your first full stint on the body serve. You had a kind of a a makeshift appearance last year under the bridge with Chad. <laughs> yes, you had me under the bridge last year. <laughs> As a hailstorm was approaching, we literally had to cut it short and run to our cars because there was lightning. Literally. But uh, thank you so much for having me on. It was fun. I, I'm glad I got to talk about Sloan and all sorts of current events with you. So it was good fun. Thank you so much. On behalf of James, thank you so much. You two have to meet at some point. I know. I'm so upset that you I have to You gotta get James. to Cincinnati this year. That's that's where it's gonna happen. Everybody's telling me I'm gonna try and get to Cincinnati, but you never know. <laughs> we'll see. We shall see. In this segment, you'll be hearing from a few of the WTA players. First, you'll be hearing from Naomi Osaka after her first round match in her press conference. And then you'll be hearing from three players who participated in the WTA All Access Hour. You'll be hearing from Caroline Garcia. You'll be hearing from Madison Keys as well as Joe Kanta. Uh, Naomi Osaka, she, I asked her about Sasha, her relationship with Sasha, and whether the fact that they both have pretty high profile social media presences, if that's something that they gelled behind, if that's something that helped them you know, get on the same page earlier on in their working relationship. Joe Kanta, I asked her about whether or not if she had any dread about the upcoming clay season. A bit of a, a not so nice question on my part, but as always, Joe handled it with class. She's such a delight to talk to. She clapped back in her own way, in her own gregarious way, saying that it's an unfortunate stigma of not being able to play on clay and that she doesn't really see anything to fear about clay court tennis and she reminded me that some of her best early career results came on clay and that it's only a matter of time before she my words proves the haters wrong then both caroline garcia and madison keys were asked about how they deal with online trolls and cyber bullies if 
either of them have any strategies for dealing with navigating this quite often very gnarly social media situation where folks say all manner of awful things. Garcia related advice that her father gave her earlier on in her career and Madison I asked her whether her work with Fearlessly Girl over the last two years had taught her anything new that she was able to use now in dealing with these cyber trolls. Well, the thing is, he has Twitter fingers. Do you notice that? Like, he, he kind of gets in trouble sometimes. <laughs> like, I would just be scrolling and I see that he posted something and I'm like, oh. And then I see like the comments below him and I'm like, whoa. <laughs> and then I'm just laughing and I'm deciding I'm not going to be involved in that. So <laughs> whatever. And then like a few minutes later, you see that he posts an apology. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, my goal is kind of not to be like him in that sense. Um, but other than that, I feel like it's pretty okay. Do you have a a sense of dread at all heading into the clay court season given that maybe it hasn't been your most successful surface or do you, are you pretty even keel and like taking it as it comes? 100% oh, even keel. Okay. Um, I think it's, um, I've been attached with this unfortunate stigma of not being able to play on clay when, when previously before I started doing well in the WTA most of my t titles, my ITF titles came on the clay. Yeah. My first title ever came on the clay. My biggest titles um, until I won the 100k in Vancouver, I won the 50s on green clay. So I, I have, I have, and actually even the juniors, I did quite well on the clay. So it, it's an interesting thing. I think it, a lot of it came down to um, just the amount of um, kind of high level matches that I had played on the clay in the last number of years. Mm -hmm. I think uh, getting used to the WTA tour, um, but I'm really looking forward to it. I enjoy the surface. I enjoy the change um, in the season. Um, yeah. So, Are there specific changes that you make to your game or preparation heading from this big hardcore swing that we've just had to now getting ready for the clay season? Um, I think it's definitely important to get your body prepared um, physically, the demands of sliding, um, you're going to be sore in different places. Um, and I think, uh, yeah, the, the mentality of the game can, slide, it can change slightly just because of the, of the I love it, Josie, points. Um, yeah, so just little, little adaptions like that. So would you say you're looking forward to proving those haters wrong? <laughs> I mean, year? I mean, if I get the opportunity, great. But yeah. if if I don't, I I, I still don't. Uh, I don't I don't feel it's a it's a weak surface for me. I think with time, I will I will perform I will perform well on this surface. If it's not this season, then maybe next season. <laughs> next one, then one after. I I don't feel any any pressure to uh, prove anyone wrong. I I, I feel more uh, more excitement and motivation to to really uh, get stuck into into this part of the season. Unfortunately, one of the things you have to deal with as a professional athlete is uh, social media trolls mm -hmm. and people who come out of the woodwork to say all kinds of nasty things mm -hmm. to you. What are some of the strategies that you use to deal with that? And does that affect, does that affect how you use your social media? Uh, yeah, yeah, I did. Um, I did uh, learn uh, some difficult things on the social media, so it was a uh, I mean, my dad always told me to be careful in the, in the past, and uh, I was careful, you know. But uh, you know, I was reading uh, a lot of stuff and everything, and then one day I, I learned it's a bad way, and he came back to me. But uh, everyone did it differently. Some are getting motivated by all these uh, haters' uh, message, and some doesn't really like it, and uh, it can hurt you if you are not very careful. So I, I'm more careful now because uh, I know I, I can be sensitive to this kind of stuff. So I'm I'm taking more distance, you know. I don't read as much as I, as did before, or as I would like to, because I know there is some very nice message and very supportive. But sometimes, because of couple of people, you have to take your distance. You've worked with Fearlessly Girl for a couple of years now, mm -hmm. and one of the things that you've talked about a lot during that time is cyberbullying, mm -hmm. not just with young teens, but also with tennis players online. Um, how have you seen yourself change in how you handle those kinds of situations, specifically on Twitter and other social media for yourself? I used to shy away from kind of putting a spotlight on it 
but I found that for me personally, it was really hard to just take it. And I've also found that if you retweet it, a lot more people can report them. Mm -hmm. So their accounts get shut down a little <laughs> bit faster. So, I mean, I it feels like I'm sticking up for myself a bit more, but also just, I mean, one report versus 37 a little bit different. And bullies are cowards. Usually. Yeah. It's amazing how you retweet them and their deletes disappear pretty quickly. <laughs> Shall we get into a little bit of Q&A from our listeners? Let's. Shannon Clark, who is in Toronto, she asks, WTA Rising Stars as a brand never really took off like the ATP Next Gen, even though they have been more successful and consistent namely Osaka, Ostapenko, Svitolina, Kazatkina. Why has this been the case, and does it matter? Well, why hasn't it taken off? To me, there's very little visibility for WTA Rising Stars. NextGen has got the hashtag, the NextGen Finals. They built up this controversy at the NextGen Draw Ceremony. Um, there has just been a lot more visibility for the ATP Young Guns. This Rising Stars thing, I, it barely is on my radar at all. But see, I think this is part and parcel of the implicit bias when it comes to sport fandom, in that men are always given the platform instead of women. Meaning, we're always... This whole business of, oh, Federer is the GOAT, he's won the most Grand Slam titles of anybody in tennis history. Well, we see this pushback all the time now where people are having to correct that and say, well, actually, one yes. of the few times where, well, actually, is welcomed. <laughs> that, well, you're talking about men's tennis here. And you see it in the coverage of sport in general and in tennis especially, where when people are looking for the next best thing, they're looking at it from a perspective of who is going to challenge Federer. That type of thinking occupies at least 75% of the tennis discourse and narrative. Yeah. And when people are coming into sport as children, they're looking up to men as their role models in sport. How many young boys are looking up to Serena Williams as opposed to Rafa Nadal? Mm. And why is that? What is the role of parents in this, in this equation? Like you have a child that's picking up tennis and... Because he's a boy, he then has to emulate Rafa or has to have Rafa or Roger as his role model. He can't look to Serena Williams. And what are the reasons why that type of thinking is allowed? You know, because there is a systemic societal bias against women that whatever they do, be it in the workplace, in the sporting arena, that their output is lesser than. Right? Okay. And so the way that we view men and women's sport and men and women's tennis in this instance presupposes that men's tennis is the superior product. I think that's the starting point that we have to, mm. to come at this from. However, the WTA, as we've talked about multiple times, have done a largely shit job at branding its product. Yes. And this speaks to the larger problem of the WTA not getting their product seen. Simply, they're not getting eyeballs on it. They're not on TV. The WTA TV thing took forever to get off the ground. Streaming is, is not a viable option for a lot of people. For some people who use it, they love it. But the product is simply not out there. When you turn on your TV, it's more often a men's match, unless it's at the Grand Slams. Uh, there doesn't seem to be this great energy behind the WTA branding push. Like, they could do so much. Ostapenko just won a Grand Slam. She's not rising stars. She is, like, the current generation, right? Kazatkina, Svitolina. Svitolina has won a bunch of premier mandatory titles. She is here. She is not the next generation. Like, there... Why isn't there a campaign around who is going to be the next generation of superstars? Who's going to be Serena and Venus and Maria? People talk about that all the time. and that's But is it coming from the WTA and like an organized, well-packaged push? It's fraught, though. Because when we is. have seen it in the past, it's taken as the search for the next great white hope to supplant the Williams mm -hmm. sisters. Mm -hmm. There's that context as well. I see people talking about and denigrating the achievements of some of these would-be next best by saying, oh, well, Muguruza, she can only show up at Grand Slams. 
where Svitolina can't get it done on the big stage. Well, you know what? Nobody on the men's side outside of the big four is doing anything. Right. Anything. Uh-huh. So, like, the, the onus and the burden on these women is so much greater than it is on the men's side. We've talked about it before that the ATP has coasted on the fact that these four or five men have dominated men's tennis for the right. last 15 years. And still, nobody's doing anything. Borna Chorich has just made the quarterfinals back-to-back of Indian Wells and Miami. That's the most notable thing that one of these so-called next geners has done on a consistent basis. Mm-hmm. And that's just in the span of two weeks. Whereas the women are out here doing many, many different things, but it's not viewed the same way. And that's where I think that yeah. the inherent bias comes into play as well. It's a multi-pronged answer to this question. I think the WTA is partly to blame. I think we need to do better with how we are raising our children. I always go back to that when it comes to gender bias. So you're saying the solution is very easy. Absolutely. <laughs> just I'm just kidding. Just click your heels and you will be in, what is it, the balloon in Kansas? Uh, yeah, have you ever seen the Wizard of Oz? <laughs> but there's also the element that the social media branding has been better on the mm-hmm. ATP. I agree. They've been better at videos, at the hashtagging, at just building up excitement. And of course, as you said, some of that might just be what is appealing to the fans, their own implicit bias. But the WTA needs, I feel, needs to do better at giving out this unified voice, package their product in a more exciting way. And the WTA Insider is a way to do that. And that has been a really good asset for the WTA. But thing is, like, if the matches are not on TV, how are people going to watch? The second part of Shannon's question, does it matter? I think that's implicit in this very podcast. Like, of course it matters. We, we are champions of women's tennis. We want very, very much for it to succeed. Yeah, I think when the Williams sisters and a few others retire, you don't want to have this vacuum at the top. You want players who are already generating excitement as young players. You want fans like from the get-go, from when players are 17, 18, 19 years old. So yeah, like it does matter. And I absolutely do think the WTA is in a better spot with that situation than the ATP right now. Absolutely. Naomi Osaka is on the cusp. She just did a throwback Thursday, or I guess it would be throwback Tuesday today. <laughs> I think she got She's cheating. Yeah, she got that mixed up a little bit. And she shows a video of her I don't it's not skydiving. Zip, zip yeah, ziplining from the top of some super high building in Dubai. And she doesn't scream, she doesn't say anything. <laughs> she just goes through the whole thing with no expression on her face. <laughs> you can visualize that expression now, can't you? Mm-hmm. That like stone face she has. Ostapenko is out here charismatic as all hell, for better or worse. <laughs> depending on how you view her but i mean she's got a spark like there's something there yeah and we're not marketing experts but you have got to be able to bottle that in some way gay ground zero on twitter arthur he asks what would be the one thing you would change about the game example best of three matches no let courts and serves time clocks hawkeye replacing judges etc mm-hmm. this is a tough one because I often identify as a purist when it comes to the actual gameplay, like the rules of the game. I don't know. You didn't think about this? I did, but I don't object to the shot clock thing. I'm not in favor of it, but I don't have a problem with it if we're going to be hammering on about this time violation thing. Like if you're going to give time violations, you have to have a shot clock, in my opinion. But that's, I'm kind of forced into that position. I think no let cords on serves, cool, fine. Martina Navratilova suggested it a few years ago. I have no problem with that. But I'm a fan of tennis. Like I actually kind of like the game the way it is. It's it's all the stuff that goes on outside of the actual gameplay. I want a union. But that doesn't have to do with the actual playing of tennis. What do you think? I think that if you serve greater than 130 miles per hour, you should be disqualified. <laughs> that's ridiculous Uh, it's the least interesting part of tennis to me big booming serves 
True. Uh, that's never going to happen. Fine. Whatever. I accept that. As far as changes to the actual game, it's not so much, like you said, the, the rules mm-hmm. or the way the game is played. It's the stuff outside the lines. And something that's kind of in the middle is how doubles is viewed. And giving more support and money to making doubles a bigger product for tennis. Yeah. Because A, it would encourage the top players to play doubles a little bit more. Which is tough in this day and age because the game is so much more physically demanding than Mm -hmm. it was in the 70s through 90s where top players played doubles all the time. It's that's something that's going to be hard to overcome. We saw in Indian Wells where Larry Ellison gave the would-be $1 million bonus to somebody who won both. Right. Like, that's something that I actually actually quite liked. It's a credit to the game, especially to fans at events, to be able to watch doubles. Because there's a lot of great tennis going on. One of the best things we saw in Cincinnati last year was Ash Barty and Casey Delacqua playing doubles where Barty closed out a match all on her first serve. And while that's, you know, a credit to her first serve, it's still something that a lot of people won't see because they don't think of doubles as being a worthwhile viewing experience. And there's so much to take in there. Another question from Arthur. Who are your favorite tennis broadcasters and who are the worst? Why? (laughs) One of our first episodes, probably like our seventh episode ever, was the Tennis Commie Manifesto, Mm -hmm. where we talked about mostly our least favorite commentators. So there's been a lot of negativity in that arena. And if you've listened to the whole catalog, you know that we we have specific qualms with certain commentators. I will say one of my favorites is Lindsay Davenport. I think she's excellent. Which wasn't always the case for you. No. That's something that if you go back and listen to the Tennis Comedy Manifesto, you might find something different being really? said there. I don't know. I feel Are like, you sure? I feel like we were pretty negative toward Lindsay at one point. Oh. Less so about her actual commentating, but like what we perceived her to be. Mm, well, that's true. And she always goes to bat for Venus and Serena, which takes a lot of character because she has lost a lot of matches to both William sisters and was probably prevented from winning a few slams in her late 20s, by Venus especially. But she's very smart, she's analytical, she's fair. I absolutely, I just love her commentary. And the thing that we appreciate most with tennis commentators now is is when they at least give the impression that they've done their work. Mm -hmm. By the same token, the McEnroe brothers are absolutely the worst. In my mind. (laughs) Yeah. Do we even need to like rehash that? We like Cahill. We like Davenport. Granted, we don't often get streams with a lot of the other people who are really good mm-hmm. in Europe. There are a lot of people who folks love on Twitter that we've just never heard before. Right. I actually like in the booth or, or in the studio, Brett Haber on Tennis Channel. I always feel like Brett is trying his best, his damnedest to keep the peace between all these big personalities. And I do really appreciate just that professional broadcasting experience that Brett Haber brings. And someone like uh, like Chris McKendry, who's maybe not the best commentator, but she is a pro, and she's somebody who gives a little bit of pedigree to the actual broadcasting. I really enjoy listening to Martina because unlike McEnroe, who should have some implicit expertise built in, to the mm-hmm. commentary experience, she actually is able to convey that on air. <laughs> to articulate it. Yes. And she can be a little bit uh, mean-spirited sometimes yeah, I mean, with her critiques, but if that's her shtick, then whatever. Yeah. Like, she's she's earned her pulpit. I th- we both love and admire Martina so much, but sometimes listening to her is like, okay, you need to move on because you're just being a little mean right now. And also... Gimmelstab is one of the worst. For uh, many reasons. Just bargain basement. Just the worst. Dr. Scholes. You can always rely on him to ask a question. Shola. He asks, Where's the line for you guys when it comes to poking fun at your least faves? Thanks for being nice-ish to Nole lately. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like by our standards, we've been extremely nice to Nole lately. And we're able to... I'm able to answer this question right to the point because of that or using that as an example 
yes, we've talked from the jump with this podcast, January 2015, that our faves are rough on the men's side and on the woman's side, the Williams sisters. Venus mm-hmm. more so me, Serena more so you. By the same token, we've talked about or oftentimes dislike for Federer, for Nole. We like Andy as well. Yeah. You know, like we definitely have our camps that we we're not able to separate our fandom from the podcast. Nor do we think it's utile for us to mm-hmm. we feel like it would hinder the product if we did. Because what we're also able to do is to be fair to folks, or at least we try or to at be least fair. Try. Yeah. Like we are petty and mean spirited sometimes and salty, but at the end of it all, we try to be fair, even mm. to the folks that we're not necessarily fans of. Where I draw the line is when people are mean-spirited to folks without reason. Like, you don't like somebody, you're not a fan of them, and you're going to take every opportunity to cut them down. I'm not about that life. We're not talking about Justin Gimelstab, who said that he wanted his brother to have his way with Anna Kornikova, essentially rape her, right? Hmm. Like, that's something you do not come back from. If a player has not done or said something like that, then there's no reason to go at them all the time. Because make no mistake, we will go at Justin Gimmelstab every chance we yes. get. But just because you don't like somebody, and they may have done a few things that have rubbed you wrong in the past, doesn't mean that you have to cut them down at every turn. And Nole right now is going through some things, and that's something from a humanist perspective. It's something that we can relate to. You know, you get older, we're in our 30s, life is hard let alone complicating that from the perspective of being a professional athlete, one of the mm. greatest to have ever played the game, and now struggling through things, be it injury or emotional instability or what have you. Like Sometimes you just need to take a step back and let people work through things on their own. Mm-hmm. And that, So that's where we're coming from with or being nicer to no lay <laughs> right now. And that's the line that I draw. Mm. When I see something on Twitter and people are being just like, why? Right, because you like can being be mean for sport. You can be funny and we'll remind you over and over that shade is not a mean spirited shade is subtle. Mm-hmm. Like it's witty. It has a mystery to it. And some truth wrapped up in there. Right. It's something to be decoded. It's not something <laughs> yeah. that's supposed to hit you over the head with the brute force yeah. of your lack of intellect just for being mean because then you're just nasty like this just yeah. i think for me we may not have always risen to the standard but my standard is are we being honest are we being intellectually honest are we applying similar standards that we apply to our favorites to other players mm-hmm. who we are less fond of right um are we being fair like you said we had a discussion before we came to air about caroline wozniacki we won't get into exactly what it was that we're talking about, but I said to you, like, you often complain about her complaining. Yeah, exactly. Like, is it, are you taking this position because you don't necessarily like her for those reasons? Would you think of her the same way if it were somebody else in this instance? Mm-hmm. And I had to think through my feelings about Caroline to come to a more objective reading of what happened in Miami. We acknowledge that objectivity is impossible, but we can apply at least some sort of impartial opinion. You can distance yourself from your pettiness. right. (laughs) Speaking of distancing yourself from your pettiness, the next question from Michael O. Music. Do you think Sharapova will return to the top 10, or do you think she's close to retiring? You all probably will not like this answer, but I don't know. You don't know. (laughs) Do we have to give a, a definitive answer? I have no idea. Uh, we are not in the habit of a kind of telling a player when they should retire or predicting when they will. I have no idea. She has been an elite player for a long time. I don't think that Maldonium was an incredible performance enhancer and may have given her peace of mind emotionally. But without Maldonium, can she be a great player? Probably. But those... 15 months off the tour could have done irreparable damage. I don't know. When she came back, we saw her have good results. Yeah. But then she was beset by injuries, and she still is injured. The key for her to being able to rise again is to stay healthy. Yeah. 
Because she is someone who needs match play. She does. It's tougher. We're seeing it now with Serena coming back. Different circumstances. Don't at me. But coming back, (laughs) Vika as well. Where you're not getting good draws in your first few rounds. Mm -hmm. It's tougher to go deep into tournaments. The stress on your body coming back is more than if you are the number one seed trying to make your way through a, through a draw and then you get to the round of 16 and then it really starts. And all those things taken into consideration, if you don't have your health, it becomes very difficult. Maria right now is up against it. She is. She has the benefit of if she's able to get herself right soon the clay season is something that will help her i think it'll be easier on the body it's her favorite surface really at this point what an evolution Uh uh-huh it's the surface where she's able to do well because a lot of players are kind of in and out on clay on the european swing nobody's playing like four straight clay court tournaments back to back like Mm. they are playing miami indian wells back to back over these three to four weeks and there are very few clay court specialists anywhere, but especially on the women's side. Mm-hmm. I do expect that she will play better. I, I really, I cannot believe that Sharapova will retire without at least getting some of that credibility back. Yeah. I think where I land on this is, is she close to retiring? Possibly. But I absolutely don't think she'll retire without one big, big push. Without a training block, without a new team, some really good results under her belt. I don't think she wants to go out this way. Like, her image is clearly very important to her. You don't part ways with your coach who stood by you throughout this whole fiasco if you're not intent on really giving it a go. I really don't see retirement as being around the corner unless it's injury-related. Right. From Tyler Green, what will it take for Novak to fix himself? To quote Venus Williams, girl, I don't know. I really don't know. He needs to get back into the habit of hitting tennis balls, of playing matches. I thought you were going to say get back into the habit of eating a sandwich. (laughs) That too, probably. He could put on a few pounds, but I don't think that's the problem. He has been one of the greatest athletes in the world over the past five or six years. It's going to take a toll coming down from that. And I think we can see that. Like, To me, he doesn't seem injured, but I think it's a combination of the physical and the emotional that's going on right now. He said before Miami that this was the first he felt injury-free. Mm-hmm. But yet he turned in a performance that was even worse than when he lost to Tara Daniel in Indian Wells. Right. So is he trying to come back too soon? We don't have any way of knowing that. But with his type of game, it's not like he's going to come back and blow through a few matches on serve. You know, like he's not blowing people off the court. It's not his style. He needs to rally to grind to show off his flexibility and his movement. And he does everything just a little bit better than you. In years past, you would think you had no lay and then he would do something crazy. Right, right. In the De- middle of the point. Defensively or aggressively to get himself back into the point to then finish with some pinpoint crazy backhand down the line. And you watch those matches back then and you're like, my God, like he's playing in these high pressure moments with such small margins. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing now where not only are the margins not there, he's not able to hit those spots. But then you're seeing the frustration of not even being close. Right. And what we've seen as well, and we don't know what the cause is, be it, is he still injured, still feeling niggles? Is it a lack of desire? There's no way to know any of that. But we're seeing now a level of despondency on court that we've never seen from him before. Or just uh, like resignation. And in, in press conferences, he's pretty open about it and... I don't like you wonder where that Novak fire is. Is it just a matter of getting reps or or is there something else? Again, I think it's still it is so soon to be making these these predictions. He's played two tournaments. The results are alarming because it's him. He's still right? playing but, a full schedule the rest of the way. Right. He's added Monte Carlo, 
Like he's not going away. <laughs> right. It's it's likely that the biggest thing that will be needed for Novak to fix himself is to win a few matches in consecutive weeks yeah. to then build to a big result. Some really quality results. It's not. It doesn't seem to be at this point where he's going to show up to then just win the whole thing out of nowhere. You know, it, it seems like maybe he needs throughout the course of the clay stretch to have the familiarity of the surface, to have the grind of week to week, winning two matches here, three matches here, maybe not making finals, but starting to feel himself a little bit more. Right. And then if we get to the U.S. summer hardcourt swing after having multiple results like what we've been seeing throughout the spring, then maybe it might be more time for alarm with Novak. But I, I do think it's time that he needs more than anything to to recapture whatever that etc. magic is. Mm-hmm. Because it doesn't seem altogether physical. Thank you for tuning in to The Body Serve again. It's a bit of a, a different sound and feel to this episode. Hope you enjoyed it. My name is Jonathan. You can find me on Twitter at tennis underscore John. James is on Twitter at Elliot JMR, two L's, two T's. Thanks to Bree for joining the show at four, number four, the tennis. The podcast can be found on Twitter at The Body Serve. Similarly, on Instagram, we were, we're actually posting a few pictures on Instagram this week from on site with a better camera than we've been using before, thanks to my brother who loaned it to me. <laughs> so check those out, The Body Serve on Instagram. Till next time. <laughs>